Will you please pray with me? Now, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Please be seated. Well, Merry Christmas. So, I don't know about you, but Christmas for me is all about the gifts. Not the giving, but the receiving. I love receiving gifts. I mean, let's be honest, right? Who doesn't love receiving gifts? I love receiving gifts. And so, I've got a list, and I'm wondering, I'm going to tell you a bit about that in a moment, but I'm wondering, first of all, what's on your list? So, can anyone tell me what is on their Christmas list? Like, number one or two things. You guys got anything on your list in particular that you, you really want? Anyone? Be, let me know. Come on, what do you got? Something good? No, nothing. So he doesn't want any presents. He's good. You don't have to give him any presents. Pres- any, you guys want any presents? Nothing for you? Anybody? Yeah, we got over here. Bryce, what do you want? A four-wheeler. A four-wheeler. Wow. Those things are really safe. That's what I've heard. So you're fine there. Did you have some here? What did you have? A Spider-Man toy. A Spider-Man toy. Very cool. Anyone else want to tell us what they've got on their list? Yeah, over here. What do we have over there? Uh, electric bike. Electric bike. Awesome. Adam, how about you, Ryan? A bagpipes. Well, I'm not sure what's worse there. <laughs> Ooh, I mean, it could be a violin, I guess. Uh, uh, anyone else got a present they've got on their list they're really hoping for? Come on. What about a grown-up? Have we got, have we got a child of it? Yeah, what do you want? A pup plush. A pug. Okay, yeah, sorry. I was, I was, I'm getting a little outdated on gifts now. My kids are getting older. Yeah. What about over here? What about you, Luke? A hoverboard, nice. Is that like uh, Back to the Future, that kind of thing where they float? Yeah, oh, we got one back here. Nick, you got one. I want a new set of golf clubs. A new set of golf clubs. Where's Mary Jo? I hope you, uh, I hope you heard that, Mary Jo. No, oh, you already got a no. Yes, yeah, Steve. Liverpool football, Liverpool football tickets. <laughs> I'll tell you, I'll get the tickets if you get the plane tickets, and we will go. All right, how about that? Is that a fair deal? That sounds good. All right, excellent. Well, I'm going to tell you, there are some amazing things uh, uh, right there, and there are some amazing things on my list, but number one thing on my list, and it may not sound amazing to you, but it's a new book, all right? You know, I've officially reached the stage of books and ties and socks, where you kind of think, you know, when you're a kid, you think, man, I feel so sorry for dad. He just got socks. (laughs) And now I'm like opening and go, yes, I got a book, I got a tie, I got socks. This is so good. This is just what I needed. And anyway, the new book that I'm really hoping for, um, maybe I saw that it got delivered on Amazon. Anyway, but (laughs) don't tell my wife. She's not here. She doesn't know. Uh, The new book that I'm I'm hoping for is U2's um, lead singer Bono, his book called Surrender. And I've made it no secret they are one of my all-time favorite bands, if not my all-time favorite band. And the Josh Tree album of 1987 is my favorite album. That is my favorite album. If I could only take one album to a desert island, obviously it would have no electricity, so I never understand that question. An album, what's an album? Yeah. <laughs> Barry, you and I, we're like dinosaurs. <laughs> and I'll gladly argue with anyone, and again, kids miss out on this, that the first three tracks on that album, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, Where the Streets Have No Name, and With or Without You will match any three of the first three tracks on your favorite album. Trust me, I will argue that all day long. I will not uh, let you win either. Those are two or three of the greatest songs to ever open an album. Well, my love of U2 and the album Joshua Tree began when in the summer of 1990, 
uh, confession, I stole my sister's copy of that album, and I began to play it in my room on constant repeat. Back in those days, Barry, we had those things called CD players. Remember those? And you could put it on repeat, and you could just play your favorite tracks as well if you wanted to. But it wasn't until the early 2000s I finally got to see them live, and I've seen them once more since. And while the quality of their music, I think, has tapered off since the mid-2000s, the quality of their live shows hasn't. And neither has the inspiration that Bono continues to give. You see, Bono, his real name is Paul Hewson, is a man who has a deep Christian faith, and you'll find it interwoven into his lyrics. And if you've never seen them live or even heard a U2 song, then tonight I want you to go home, and instead of wrapping all those presents that you still have to wrap, because I know you do, I want you to go to YouTube and search U2 Super Bowl Halftime Show. And if you've never seen the U2 Super Bowl halftime show from 2002, you need to watch that. You see, in 2002, the world was a dark place. It was a dark place. 9-11 was still fresh in the mind of many Americans. And it's hard to describe the anxieties that were simmering in the American psyche at that time. So who do you ask to entertain the world's largest audience in an appropriate way, one that's really wrestling with this kind of uncertainty and darkness. Well, you ask you too, a band who know uncertainty and darkness all too well. After all, they grew up in an island that was torn apart by uncertainty, darkness, and really sectarian struggles of the 70s and 80s. What does you two play first? You might think they would come out with some melancholy, slow number, but no, they kick it off with Beautiful Day. And they come out with this song that is alive and it's kicking, you probably heard it, and whose lyrics read like this. The heart is a bloom, shoots up through the stony ground. There's no room, no space to rent in this town. It's a beautiful day. Sky falls, you feel like it's a beautiful day. Don't let it get away. Later on, Bono said of this song, the lyric expresses amazement, really, that whatever situation you find yourself in, as uncomfortable and upsetting as that can be, if you're alive and you are awake, then you have perspective on it. I was influenced by an Australian preacher I know called John Smith, who was a pastor for the Hells Angels at one point, and he was a very eloquent speaker with a brilliant mind. I remember him talking to me about how depression is a nerve end. Pain is evidence of life because it reminds you there are things in your life that aren't right. So you should be thankful for it, really, and celebrate that there is so much to live for. You know, Bono captured the moment in this culture, or in that culture, perfectly with this song. It was a time of darkness, but a time that wasn't beyond goodness and hope. And then as if perfection wasn't enough, they nailed it when they launched into their second song, which was, of course, Where the Streets Have No Name, a song about heaven. And in the darkness of the Louisiana Super Bowl, uh, Superdome, the names of all the 9-11 victims started to scroll up this black scrim behind the band as if ascending to heaven. I mean, it was a moment that just hit exactly the right, um, the right uh, atmosphere right there. And it was an amazing moment. And the good news of the gospel, that there's hope even in the darkest of times, you see, was being proclaimed to millions, if not billions, of people all over the world. 
In our reading from Isaiah this Christmas Eve, this is the message that's being proclaimed not just to the Israelites, but to all people for all time. It's that same message that you too was sharing. There's hope through Jesus, even in the darkest of times. And for the Israelites of around 700 BC, that's about when this was written, it's a much needed message. You see, they're facing annihilation as a country. They're not a big country in itself, but they're facing annihilation. They've abandoned God and they've chosen their own ways and they're reaping the consequences of their unfaithfulness. And now empires from the north and empires from the south are threatening to overrun this small country and to wipe them off the face of the earth. These are gloomy and anguish-filled times. But then a prophet called Isaiah, a faithful man of God, speaks these words on behalf of God himself. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You know, much like the end of our service where, spoiler alert, we will dim the lights to the point of darkness before lighting the Christ candle right there. Darkness is about to be pierced by great light. And as God goes on to tell his people, this event is going to be followed by great joy. It's going to be followed by freedom from oppression and the destruction of their enemies. And what is that event? Well, Isaiah continues in verses 6 and 7. And it's hard to contain myself and not to sing these words if you know the uh, uh, Handel's Messiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. At the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord's hosts will do this. You know, much like Bono singing of a, of a heart shooting up through stony ground, we get this beautiful picture of something incredible that's coming out of something so painful. Yes, in the midst of the destruction that Israel is going to go through to steal a Star Wars title, a new hope has arisen. And who's this child? He's the savior they've been longing for. He's the Messiah. He's the true king. And he'll be more than they've ever imagined because he's going to be God himself in flesh. Not just a human king. He's going to be God himself, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And that is good news for those Israelites as they face destruction. But you know, it's also good news for you and it's good news for me. This is what we're celebrating each Christmas. Yes, he came to rescue his fellow Jews, but he also came to rescue us. In Rebecca McLaughlin's brief book, is Christmas unbelievable, of which there are a handful of copies in the lobby that you're free to take on your way out if you'd like to. She writes this, In Jesus, we see the playwright stepping onto the stage. We see the God who made the universe itself coming down to our backwater planet so that we might become his children. But instead of being applauded, Jesus was rejected. Instead of being worshipped, he was executed. And this wasn't a tragic accident. It was written into Jesus' script from the first. But why? Well, McLaughlin goes on to say, the answer is the best news and the worst news we could ever hear. You see, if there is a God who made us and loves us, that's wonderful news. It means that our lives are meaningful, that there are such things as good and evil, and that justice and love will win in the end. We're not just debris floating in the cosmos. We matter. But according to the Bible, this is also terrible news. 
Because it wasn't just the people of Jesus' day who needed saving from their sins. We all need saving from our sins and from the judgment of God that they rightly deserve. Yes, we live in a sin-riddled and dark world. In 2022, as with every year since the dawn of time, this manifested itself in many ways. We saw war, and one particular war really struck a chord. We saw disease, there's famine, there's abuse of power, there's gun violence, there's prejudice, adultery, murder, and so on. And all of these were major stories locally, nationally, or internationally. However, it's easy to look at those things and say, yes, those things happened, but I'm not the problem. But the truth of the matter is that we're all sin-riddled people ourselves. Yes, if we're honest with ourselves, truly honest, our actions, our inactions, our words, our thought lives all reveal that we're not the good people we wish we were or that people sometimes say that we are. And if you don't believe me, how would you feel if you had to be a cartoon character for a day? Yes, suspend belief for a moment. And the, th the thought, bubbles that appear, thought bubbles that appear around cartoon characters were visible for everyone to see. How would you feel about that? I know I would be pretty terrified to even go outside. But back to the good news. In our epistle reading from Titus today that Ed just read for us, we read, For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all, uh, for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. See, God has a free gift for all those who will accept it. He will save us, and he will give us his righteousness, and he will help us to live as good people. And what do we have to do to receive this gift? Well, it's not a matter of being naughty versus being nice, or being nice versus being naughty. Now, that's Santa's story, and in fact, that's the anti-gospel. We've already concluded that everyone's naughty in God's eyes, right? Everyone. Yes, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, as the Apostle Paul puts it. But no, the really important question this, Christian, uh, this Christmas and every Christmas isn't have you been naughty or nice. It's have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Which brings us full circle to Bono. <laughs> Everything comes back to Bono, friends. <clears throat> when he was recently asked why he titled his book Surrender, he said this. Surrender is a word I haven't yet fully grasped or fathomed. If I'm honest, I was born with my fists up, metaphorically, sometimes physically, and putting them down is hard for me, and I'm trying to. So the title is where I'm headed rather than where I'm at. Here's a very honest answer, isn't it? Here's a man who's followed Jesus his whole life, and yet who recognizes that he's still learning to surrender to him, to fully surrender to say, God, I want to follow you, but I struggle. Help me in my struggle to surrender to you. And you might feel a bit like Bono when it comes to God, living fists up with him, right? This is how you and God, if you were to ask what kind of position you take with God, it might be, I'm like this. And you may say, I'm not surrendering to anyone. That sounds a lot like giving in and being controlled by something or someone else. Well, let me tell you a secret, friends, a truth for all time. Just lean in a moment, lean in. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, you've already surrendered it to something or someone else. 
If you haven't surrendered to Jesus, you've already surrendered it to something or someone else. Perhaps it's to a political ideology. You're desperately seeking meaning in a culture that readily celebrates the unimportant, such as fame and wealth. Perhaps it's to vanity. You're seeking acceptance or value through the way you look or the way that you dress. Hopefully, they will notice me. Hopefully, they will value me. Perhaps you've surrendered to sex or to lust, seeking physical pleasure as a means to satisfy your need for wholeness and for meaning. Perhaps you've surrendered to the pursuit of wealth, seeking security or value through money, possessions, or even stocks. But we all know how shaky those things can be. Perhaps you've surrendered to the opinions of others, making sure you drive the right car, that you live in the right home, that you have the right furnishings and electronics, that you wear the right clothes, that you eat at the right restaurants, or you go to the right parties, or you belong to the right clubs. Perhaps you've surrendered to your career. You're driven by the need to succeed somewhere and feel a sense of self-worth, so you put all your eggs in this basket and spend countless hours in the office or on your laptop, hoping you'll gain acceptance and respect for the hard work that you put in. Perhaps you've surrendered to the wounds of your past. Your life is shaped by that divorce or that abuse or that pain caused to you by another, or like Mary and Joseph, the unwanted pregnancy you had to deal with all those years ago. Perhaps you've surrendered to anger and self-righteousness and you're consumed by the need to be right and to be heard. Perhaps you've surrendered to your independence and self-reliance, never accepting the help of others for fear that it's going to put you in a place of weakness and dependence. Perhaps you've surrendered to your family. Your life is consumed with busyness, traveling from one activity to the next, driven by a fear that your child or children will miss out on something and that you will not be the perfect parent. And this month has been hell because Christmas of all times has to be just right. And the list goes on. Yes, we've all surrendered to something. And none of these things can ultimately give your life meaning. Maybe you've discovered that already, or maybe you haven't. All of them are like striving after the wind, as the great poet of Ecclesiastes writes. No, God has placed eternity in our hearts, and that God-shaped hole can only be filled by him. Not even the perfectly decorated Christmas home with just the right lighting, just the right food and gifts and music can fill that hole. Until we surrender to him, we will always yearn for something more. What does surrender look like? Well, I've told you what my favorite album is, so it's appropriate to end by telling you my favorite Christmas carol. It's called In the Bleak Midwinter. It's not hugely popular here, but um, it's, it's a big one, certainly, where I'm from in the UK. And it's a 19th century poem by Christina Rossetti, one of my favorite poets as well, set to music by Harold Dark. There's also a version by Holst, but I prefer the one by Dark. And the last verse goes like this. What can I give him, poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I would give a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. But what I can I give him, give him my heart. You know, would you give God your heart today? Not in a mushy Valentine's Day kind of way, because I'm not interested in that. Not that kind of way. But in a wholehearted, whole being, choosing to surrender all that you have to him kind of way. Choosing to follow him obediently from now on. This is what he asks of us. Because Jesus came that first Christmas, not to establish a religion, but to restore broken relationships. 
And even in the darkest of times, even in the most difficult of situations, when we're in a fully surrendered relationship with him, there is never anything that we need fear. And there is always hope, however dark the situation. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the one that we worship at Christmas. This is the one who humbled himself to be born in a manger, to live as one of us, to die that our sin might be paid for, that we might be saved and made righteous in him. And this is the one who gives hope in the darkness. And this is the one who's worthy of surrender and subsequent lifelong devotion. Will you surrender to him today? Why don't we pray? Jesus, we thank you that you are the light in the darkness. And it doesn't matter how hopeless a situation is. In you, there is always hope. Always. You know where everyone is tonight. You know who feels hopeless. You know who feels lost in the darkness. You know who realizes suddenly that they've surrendered their life to the wrong thing. And so, Lord, tonight, I pray that you will help us to surrender to you and you alone. Lord, we repent of our sin. We choose to follow you, knowing that we are a forgiven people, loved by you, and freely offered that gift of grace and mercy, which is life to the full, eternal life in you, Christ. Do not let another Christmas go by without surrendering ourselves to the right thing, the one who came at Christmas. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.